It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. To the point I was making a little couple minutes earlier, if... Now, we all want to see the Bucks win in six games, but if it goes to a seventh game, the seventh game would be a week from today. That is July 22nd. To give you some perspective, the Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers, they open up their training camp on July 21st. So football training camps, at least in, for some teams, will be opening up before the NBA basketball season concludes. Um, the majority of the teams report on Tuesday, July 27th, a couple days after it. I, you know, For anybody who says these seasons go on for too long, you know, I think they might have a point. But that does not change the fact that what's going on in Milwaukee is incredibly exciting. I think that there's a lot of casual fans or maybe even people who really don't follow pro basketball who, who've gotten caught up in this. Um, Last night, we were watching the game at at home, and my wife, who's, I mean, she's a sports fan, but she's more of a sports fan because I'm a sports fan, and I I, I like the Bucs, but I I don't follow the Bucs as avidly as I follow, say, the Brewers and the Packers, but it it was a great game. She's she's watching the game last night, and it it looks like that Phoenix is going to win. Phoenix seems like they're in control. They were leading most of the game, and then you have that run at the end of the first fourth quarter where the the Bucs take over, and they end up winning by six points and it was exciting and it was dramatic and the crowd was in it and it was just it it was a a lot of fun it was a great basketball game and chris middleton had a great game Giannis had a number of great plays and a lot of the bucks role players contributed as well so it was fun exciting it's great for the city and a lot of people who might otherwise not be pro basketball fans, well, they, they've jumped on the bandwagon, and I think there, there's still plenty of room. But this now poses issues because, as I frequently said, um, the summer in this area, summer in southeastern Wisconsin, if you can't find something to do, you're, you're not trying very hard. And I don't know about you, but I, I get very, very scheduled, maybe overscheduled, arguably, because it seems like almost every night since summer is so short, you've got an invitation to, to, to do this, do this, or do that, or, or do the other, and you make all these commitments, or this there's this festival that's going on, or I've agreed we're you know going out to dinner with so-and-so, and all these different things, and all these different plans, and then you have the Bucks games that now intercede. So here, here is the situation, and this is a conundrum that I suspect other people might face as well. All right, game six, and there will be a game six next Tuesday night, downtown Pfizer Forum, so that we know the Bucks will be playing. The only question is, will they be trying to win it all, assuming they win on Saturday night in Phoenix, or will they be trying to win and set up a Game 7? But we know that there's going to be a Game 6. Well, a while back, my wife, uh, my, my, my grandson, great, great fan of, of the Brewers, 
and we have some friends who, through their corporations, these aren't WTMJ tickets, but we have some friends who have a company, and the company has really, really, really good season seats to to the Brewers. And um, my wife's grandson, you know, he he asked a couple times, "Hey, can you can you get us tickets to to go to to the games?" And it just so happens that on Tuesday night. That also, I have a, a 20 pack season tickets, uh, and Tuesday night is one of my regular nights. So I've got two tickets, going to go with my buddy. And then we, we got a bunch of other seats, a bunch of other tickets that are pretty close to where my seats are, but actually they're probably even a little bit better to the ball game on Tuesday night. And so we, we've got a, a relatively I don't know. I don't know if there's eight or ten tickets all in, all done. But we, we've got a number of these tickets. And, you know, we want to take the kids and we their parents going and stuff. So now the deal, though, is so we want to go to see the Brewers game. It's great. They're great seats. But this is going to be the night of game six of the, the Brewer, of the of the Bucks game. And so, I mean, I raised this question this morning with my wife. I said, well, I mean, how, you know, what? how are people going to feel? Are, would, do they want to? go to the game after we've gone to all the trouble and get the tickets do they want to go to the game or do you think that people would rather you know stay home and and, and watch the game on television or in the case of you know, some of the kids I know they've gone down to the deer district from time to time and I, you know and my wife said well I'm sure they're going to want to go to the game and I, I think they're going to want to go to the game as well but my guess is a number of you are in similar conundrums, whether it's tickets to the Brewers game next Tuesday night, uh, dinner plans next Saturday night. Uh, maybe you're scheduled to go to a wedding or something like that. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there's at least two more Bucks games. One is Saturday night, one is Tuesday night, and, and there might be one more beyond that. My guess is a number of you have stuff that you have already scheduled Will you be changing your plans to watch the Bucks? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you handle this? Can we multitask when an NBA championship is within reach? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you how we're going to handle this. But are you in this similar situation? And what are you planning to do? How do you deal with conflicts? I mean... I don't know if you're scheduled to go to that. If you're scheduled to go to a wedding on Saturday night, how do you handle that? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Have you caught Bucks fever? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And more specifically... I think at the beginning of, of the year, even a couple months ago, everybody had high hopes. But I don't know that there's too many people who were saying, hey, I've made all these arrangements for July. And, and now what do we do? Because it, the, the Bucks, it's essentially a three-game season. It's best two out of three. So Saturday night... Lots of people have plans in the summer on Saturday night. You know, they're going to be playing game five. Next Tuesday, I've got a bunch of tickets to the Brewers game. You know, we're taking the family and things like that. It's been planned for a long time. And I guess my question is, all right, do, do you go? Do you go ahead and participate this? Or you say, look, I, I'm, I'm just staying home or I'm going to listen to it on the radio or whatever. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm <laughs> interesting text on this. I'm invited to a graduation party on Saturday night. If they don't have the game on, I'll be leaving early. Bucks in six. 
Okay, well, you've got a graduation party. I guess it kind of depends on whether is it your your niece or nephew or is it you know, some other relative or is it a friend of a friend or whatever. My guess is they'll have the party on. Jeff, are you serious? You can go to a Brewers game anytime. This has been 50 years in the making. And by the way, my daughter is getting married this Saturday at Turner Hall. The wedding is at 4 o'clock. So, okay. So, all right, let's see. The, the wedding, assuming that there's no delays, you know, you're probably in and out of the wedding. By 4, you take the pictures. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is one of those deals where it will be the shortest father of the bride toast ever. As you try to deal with that, um, let's see, um, Jeff, one of my dearest friends, his wedding is this Saturday. He's a huge Bucks fan. He told me yesterday the reception is ordering televisions to stream the game. My husband is thrilled. Bride, not so much. Can't wait to go see this unique wedding. And uh, congrats to them. Now, now, that, now, that's kind of this, this interesting situation. It's one thing if you're the guest. It's another thing if you're one of the participants. And can't you imagine this? All right, it's it's your wedding day. And let's and let's talk about it from the perspective of the bride because I mean, let, let, let's face it, in, in many cases it it's the brides that want the whole thing to be perfect and the grooms just, you know, want it all to to come off okay. You know, and you can just see the brides and the brides and especially if it's a first wedding and you've got the younger bride and you've got the mother, everybody's been planning this for the better part of a year and you've got all these details and this is what the times are and this is what the toasts are going to be and this is when we're going to cut the cake and this is what the dance is going to be and this is how it's all going to arrange and then you've got the groom coming in and saying, "Well, honey, for the reception, we're going to put a whole bunch of big screen TVs in there. And by the way, the game doesn't start until 8 o'clock Milwaukee time, so it's probably going to be over around 10.30, and uh, then let the party start. Interesting that people would do that. Uh, Jeff, we're going camping. We're going to go down the Wisconsin River. We're going to be kayaking, and when we get back, we're going to the bar at the campground to watch the game. Well, well, it is at night, so you don't have that going on. Jeff, I am happy for the Bucks. I want them to be successful, but I don't change my plans to watch it. If it happens to be on TV, then so be it. That's kind of where I forget. Kind of that. That's that's where I. I come down on on the situation. I, I'm, again, I'm thinking that the baseball game on Tuesday. We're we, we've made this commitment. Looking forward to going. Going to take the family. And uh, this is one of these ages where you can multitask. My guess is now the baseball game. I think starts at seven ten on Tuesday night. My guess is there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be there, and everybody's going to have their cell phones out. And I, I would imagine it's going to. Be, as a matter of fact, one of the reasons I want to go to the game on Tuesday night in particular is I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see because, like I say, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that'll be sitting there following the Bucks game. You know, on on the on their phones or whatever so you're going to have all these things where in the middle of i don't know it's the the third inning there's kind of like nothing going on the count is two balls and one strike on a player and all of a sudden a big roar comes up through the crowd and it's because Giannis just had a spectacular dunk or you know Chris Middleton threw in a three-point shot or whatever and and everybody's watching this and they're going to roar i i think actually I'm very much looking forward to just kind of being in that crowd and being in the moment and seeing how people multitask. You you know it's just going to be a lot of fun. And uh, win or lose on Saturday night, I mean, I'm still planning to go to the ball game on next Tuesday night, but I think it's going to be a ball game unlike 
any other. Would I cancel? If I had plans to go to a wedding on Saturday night, would I cancel it? No. I do admit, though, that if I was at the wedding reception, I might be one of those people that was kind of tempted to sort of look away from that dance and kind of look and see what's going to happen. It's a good problem to have, though, figuring out how you're going to handle multitasking in late July with the Milwaukee Bucks two games away from winning the NBA championship. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I I, I wanted to mention something because this I, I know a number of people are starting to get caught up in this surprise thing. And I, I mentioned it briefly yesterday. I kind of want to reiterate it. And I understand to an extent this is a first world problem. But a, as we are coming out of the pandemic, more and more people are considering traveling. And if you're going to travel overseas, in many cases, you need to be vaccinated. But we don't want to talk about vaccinations now. But you need something more basic. You need a passport. And I am surprised at the number of people that I know and or have heard from who have they sort of forgot about that over the course of the last year or two. And now they're starting to think about, hey, I'm, I'm looking at traveling. And you know what? They're, they're going and they're pulling out their passport and they're finding that their passport has expired and and this is i was talking to somebody i know who's we've got a we've got a listener river cruise coming up in france in early september and you know one of the people who's going on it i ran into him the other day and he was saying yeah well we recognized a couple months ago that our passports had expired this was three months ago you know we have started the process but we hadn't heard anything and so now we're, we're trying to expedite it and i think that they've ended up working it out but i mean here's here's the deal if you are considering getting back on that international travel thing and you have a passport, you might want to look at it to make sure that it doesn't expire anytime soon. And if you've got a passport that the expiration is coming up sometime soon, you, you might want to kind of jumpstart the whole process of getting it renewed. I mean, here's the deal. There is currently, according to the State Department, there's currently a backlog of between 1.5 to 2 million passports and and this this is because in, in in many cases like i say people during covid just didn't think about it they, they didn't think about renewing their passport if they, they didn't think about international travel secondly you had a lot of people who just weren't able to travel internationally and so they didn't think well i don't need a passport you know why do i need to do this but now that they're thinking about trying to go overseas sometime in the near future they're finding oops i, I gotta get a passport um right now i mean typically the you you know you would normally it takes you like six to eight weeks to get a, a passport issued a regular application and you can pay extra and you can get an expedited one and it, it's two to three weeks that's what it typically is no more right now they're saying to get the, the standard passport eighteen weeks. 18 weeks, twice as long as normal. So break 18 weeks down. That, that's, that's like four plus months 
under the standard sort of thing. So if you're thinking, hey, maybe, you know, we want to go overseas or whatever and we want to do it by December, well, you better pull out your passport and look at it to make sure you've got it. And even with the expedited application, they're talking about 12 weeks, you know, and and that, that's, again, the whole expedited situation. So this is, and it's nobody's, look, it, it's nobody's fault. I mean, I, I understand, you know, how this type of stuff happens. You have a lot of, you know, workers who are kind of idled. People don't think about this. They put those passports in their drawer and they don't think about them. But so the bottom line of this is the, these these renewals are taking months and months and months, as are the applications if you don't have one in the first place. So if you have plans to go anywhere anytime soon, you, you might want to check this out or else you're like caught in this uncomfortable surprise. Now, I'm one of the guys who's been touting like the the whole like the, the frequent flyer stuff for the, the, the TSA and the global entry things. And whenever I do that, I always get texts from people who are saying, well, yeah, it, it's great if you can get it, but you need to know there's a huge backlog on that as well. Bottom line of all this stuff, and I think one of the lessons when it comes to government documents and things like that, it never pays to wait to the last minute because you don't know what's going to end up happening and you don't know when you're going to need things. So don't be don't be shut out. Isn't that the phrase they use? Don't be shut out. So if 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 you need a passport, you, you might want to start doing it now, even if you don't think you're going to need it till the early part of next year. And if you've got a passport, pull it out of the drawer and see see when it expires, because you don't want to have an unpleasant surprise. Sure, I've got a passport. Ooh, oops, it's expiring in two months, and I'm traveling in four months. I can get this turned around right away. Maybe not. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If you have children, you may want to check your bank account today because you might be in for what is potentially a a surprise. And maybe it's a good surprise, maybe it's a bad surprise, but it, it could in fact be a surprise because starting today, there will be checks sent by the taxpayers of the United States, you're welcome, to your bank account if you have children under the age of of 18. Now, it always used to be that you were, if you had kids, you were eligible for a child care tax credit that you could take when you filled out your taxes. The tax credit, I believe, was like $2,000 a child. That's what the, the credit was. And there were there were limits, though. If you didn't if you didn't pay taxes, so if you didn't pay taxes, you could still claim a portion of that credit, but only, I think, up to $1,400. But you had to take it at the end of the year when you filled out your taxes, so you got a credit. You got it back. Well, as part of the quote-unquote American Rescue Act, done in the name of COVID, and we discussed this briefly yesterday, but I don't think I really had enough time to get into it fully. Um, what's happened is Joe Biden has been able to push through what is, I think, fairly described as the the largest quote-unquote government payout slash anti-poverty program since, since the 60s. Because here's, here's what's happened. As part of the quote-unquote American Rescue Act, that child tax care credit has been increased from $2,000 to $3,000 for children between the ages of 6 and 17. So it's gone up a grand. 
If you have children under the age of six, it's $3,600 instead of 2000 So a massive increase in the amount of the child care credit. But here's where it's all so different. Instead of having to wait till the end of the year to collect it when you fill out your taxes, what the Biden administration has arranged to do is send it to you in monthly installment payments. And so that means many of you, I think if you, you know, if you get and think of the way it's set up is if you don't have to do anything to get this, if, you know, you, you've arranged for, for example, to have your tax refund automatically deposited in your checking account. So if the government has your, your account information, what's going to happen is if you qualify, if you've got kids, they will, I believe starting today, automatically be making cash payments into your account. So if you've got, I don't know, let's see, uh, if you've got three kids and you know two are over the age of six, so you're going to get $250 a kid, so that's 500 bucks a month. And if you've got a child under the age of six, you're going to get $350 for that charge, that child. So you, know, you should be able to look at your bank account today, and you're going to find, I don't know, 850 bucks. in the example I gave, in your account. Now, you don't have to spend it on your kids. You can do whatever you want with it. You can, I don't know, go out and you know use it as a car payment. You can use it to pay your TV off. You can use it to, I don't know, pay your cell phone bills. What You can do whatever you want with it. But this is the taxpayers giving you money and giving you that money up front. Now, you might say, oh, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. I mean, who, who gets this? If this is an anti-poverty program, it's targeted, Jeff, right, to the people who who are the poorest Americans? Well, not really, because here's the deal. The limit is if you are single, okay, filing individually, the limit is 75000 bucks. So if you make $75,000 or less, you, you're going to get the credit. And you're going to be getting the money for the kids. It does phase out, you know, as so if you, you can make more than $75,000, I don't know exactly the number that it completely disappears, but it reduces itself at 75. If you are married filing jointly, all right, so the typical family, you can make your adjusted gross income can be up to $150,000 and you will get this child tax care credit. Now you got to be a little bit careful because it, it is it is a credit and they're giving it to you up front. So what that means is when you go to file your taxes, you're not going to get as big a lump sum as you might have gotten in the past. For example, like last year you would have been able to write off 2000 bucks. This year, since the government's giving you 300 bucks up front every month, that's going to reduce the size of it. So some people, you got to be a little bit careful if you're doing your taxes and you don't want a, like a real unpleasant surprise at tax time because you were counting on that child tax care credit because you are getting it up front. But you're getting a lot more dough. Again, for children six and under, it's gone from 2000 to $3,600 um, a month, uh, 2000 a year. And for other kids, it's gone from 2000 to 3000 The price tag on this is, um, well, 
billions, billions and billions of dollars. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the right now, this program, and you heard Joe Biden on our news at 1 o'clock. Joe Biden taking credit for this. He said, this this is one of the, the biggest poverty programs that we've had. And, and you know, he, he's doing this victory lap because courtesy of the, the federal government, I'm giving you guys all this money, and don't you love it? And isn't this this wonderful? And what Biden wants to do is, is make this permanent. Right now, it's only a year. And the justification originally was we need to do this because of COVID and because families are hurting. And But the program now is the, the big argument is now they want to extend this forever and just make this a, a permanent part and of, of the payouts. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. Using tax policy for for social engineering, I, I've I've never been a big fan of this. I understand our tax code has always had child tax care credits, and 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 that's fine. I get that you can't completely turn back the clock, but this idea of taking taxpayer money and sending an extra what three hundred bucks a month per kid to families that make. To me, it's bad policy and it's appalling. If we want to have targeted relief, if we really want to help children that are in poverty, then let's figure out a way to help children in poverty. But I'm telling you, sending this money to parents who make 150 grand a year is not it's it's not trying to eliminate childhood poverty. It's a sloppy, wet kiss to people who don't need the money. And I say don't need it. Look, I understand everybody wants to have money. But if the idea is, gee, we're concerned that these kids can't eat. We're concerned that these kids don't have clothes on their back. Okay, fine. You mean to tell me that that, that six or 800 or $900 has to go to the people that are making 150 grand? I don't think so. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Remember, Texters nails this. Jeff, when will we learn that programs like this do nothing to eliminate poverty? If anything, it creates more poverty and dependence on taxpayers. I'm really tired of paying to feed, clothe, house, care, and educate other people's children. Well, what's, what's frustrating about, I mean, it really is interesting to see how the Democratic Party has shifted since the years of Bill Clinton. Remember Bill Clinton? I want to end welfare as we know it. Joe Biden wants to return us to the welfare state, and and that's what this is. But the bigger aggravation of it is that this isn't just directed at people that are in poverty. This is, you know, you got if you got kids up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars in income, you're going to be getting this money. Plus, what is also aggravating is the texter says, "Well, I don't want to pay to feed and clothe and house and care and educate other people's children." There's no guarantee that a dime of this money is going to do that. That this isn't going into childhood food programs. This isn't going into clothing things. This isn't going into educational things for for children, you know, at at need. This goes into mom and dad's bank account. So mom and dad get to spend the dough however they want. Mom and dad want to go to the casino. Great. They go to the casino because they've got an extra 500, 600, 800, whatever dollars a month. Mom and dad want to, I I don't know, buy the, go buy that big screen TV. They, They can do it. There's no guarantee at all that one dime, one dime 
of this money goes to uh, to actually help um, you know deal with the the problem supposedly if the idea is what we want to do is we want to you know benefit the the kids um, Jeff and here's another fact and if one of the textures makes this point as well Jeff I tried to opt out let me stop there for just a second why would you want to opt out well because this you're the way it used to work again is you'd get a child care credit on your tax returns. You, you'd get two thousand bucks as a credit when you fill out your tax returns. Okay, well this this reduces. They've increased the amount. So, like I say, it goes up to three grand for kids over the age of six. So, follow me on this. You get more money, but they're also sending it out. They're they're sending it out every month. So, if when you fill out those tax your taxes, you know you're figuring, hey, I, I'm budgeting. I'm normally I get a big refund or I have this close. I don't want to owe money. Well, you will have gotten the money during the course of the year, so you won't be able to claim that big credit when you do your taxes. Anyhow, that's what the texter says. Jeff, I tried to top to to opt out. After taking hours to verify who I was to sign up to get on the IRS account list, I discovered my wife also has to go through the exact same process. I gave up. Just send me the money, and I will be responsible to save it for my tax liability. Thanks to the government for this headache. Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, you know, I, I, I like many others, uh, fell off the turnip truck, but I didn't fall off yesterday. I think what, what, what we're dealing with here is the president um, newly elected uh, a year ago, that uh, um, he was uh, he's pandering to the electorate. And I, I, I get that. That's human nature. But I think we have to, you know, call it uh, the way, way it really is. Yeah, um, it, it's, 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 it's vote by. With the, with the, it's with vote the inflationary by. environment. Right. And with the inflationary environment that we're experiencing now, prices you know, are, are going up, as, as we all find at the grocery store and lumber yards. Um, it would seem reasonable to you know, maybe kick this down the road to 22 after people are, when people are filing their taxes in, in April and March. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is uh, I don't think the economy needs this right now, but it's a, you know, it would be available um, next year, next next uh, late winter. Well, I mean, th- so. see, see, Johnny, I mean, here, Johnny, here's the I mean, here's the issue. The this this was a one year thing and it was sold on the idea of, OK, we, we we're coming out of this pandemic and we still have to figure out a way to give more relief to people. I mean, that's that's the way this thing was was built. But Biden is very clear. Biden wants to make this permanent. You know, this is, in my opinion, it's all part of let let's increase the welfare state. Let us increase dependency on government. And I I get these texts. Oh, you're this hard-hearted conservative. No, look, I understand that there are people in need. Right? I get it. And I think government should always be there to provide a safety net for the people who are least fortunate. But explain to me why in God's green earth, if you and your spouse are making $150,000 a year, you know, the taxpayers of the United States, and you've got a kid under the age of six, the taxpayers of the United States should be sending you a check for $350 every month. Now, I understand we, we've always had child tax care credits, but this is, is much, much larger, and it's now being paid on an in-front, you know, on an upfront sort of basis. I think you can argue whether we should, you know, as a policy matter, have child tax care credits to begin with, but that ship has sailed. But this is is dramatically... Greater. And if you're making $150,000 a year between you and your spouse, 
I would argue that you don't need to get $3,600 on top of that up front for every child that you have under the age of, of six. It's just an effort. If you don't want to like, you don't like the term vote buying, okay, then we'll, we'll call it something else, pandering or, or whatever. But if you want to build this and argue that this is an anti-poverty program, let's target it to the people who are truly in poverty. And last time I checked, I didn't hear anybody arguing that if you're pulling in six figures, that you are anywhere close to being in poverty. Jeff, um, here's a text. We got $500 this morning for both of our children. My wife and I decided we're just going to put it into savings accounts for as long as we get it. Right. And, and my guess is there's a lot of people that there's just a lot of people that are doing that. They, they got it. They got it up front. They don't need it. It's not going to change their lives one way or the other. It doesn't help get their kids out of poverty or anything like that. A n- number of texters are making this point. Um, Jeff, it's going to create a big mess because people's circumstances change um, and they won't necessarily qualify every year. It's also going to create a big mess for a lot of people when it comes time to do your taxes next year because, as I keep emphasizing, it, it's it's an advance the child tax credit is a lot bigger, but but it's still it's an advance. So if when you sit down and you do your taxes and you've planned on, oh, this is how much I'm going to owe the government, and I get to offset that with the child tax care credit, I used to get $2,000 and I've got four kids, so I'm expecting an $8,000 credit to offset stuff that I owe or to get myself a big refund, well, get ready for sticker shock because you will have gotten that money during the course of the year, and you're not going to be able to um, double claim it as well. Um, Jeff, so if you already get food share, etc., will this be money added to your income and kick you off food share, etc.? No, I, the answer to that is um, no. Jeff, I think the child care should go to workers themselves, certified centers only, no fraud allowed. Yeah. See, if we were serious about wanting to help children in poverty. That's exactly what we would do. Instead of giving this to parents, no strings attached, spend it on whatever you want. That's what we would do. We, we would put it into you know, food and meal programs. We would put it into Head Start programs. We would put it into early education programs. We would do that. But here's the problem with that, that the, for the politicians who want credit, all right, that the families might not see that directly. The families are going to see that, hey, Joe Biden just put $500 in my checking account. I love Joe Biden. I'm going to vote for this. It's going to be free money until it's not. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Look, I, I know we have to move on, but I, I, I swear, I, I listened to Joe Biden talk. We played that news clip during news where he's talking about, well, you know, we're, we're putting all these money in people's accounts. And when we look back on our administration, this is going to be one of the greatest things that uh, myself and the vice president have done to try to stop childhood poverty. Bull! This this is not about stopping childhood poverty. This is about recreating the welfare state, buying votes, 
and sticking a bunch of money in people's accounts. So when you run for reelection a couple of years from now or when some of your fellow Democrats run for election in the midterms, you can say, look what we did. We, we gave you all this money, this, this free money that's out there. If you cared about kids and dealing with childhood poverty, you would take the money and you would put it in programs where it would help those kids who are in poverty. First of all, kids whose parents make 150 grand a year are not impoverished, and yet those parents are finding money in their accounts. It, it's and to try to pretend otherwise. And what is frustrating to me, I guess. As they have these news conferences, and there's nobody in the media that says, um, you know, Mr. President, explain to me why you think giving somebody who has a family income of 150 grand or 140 grand or 130 grand, giving them money up front, tell me how that's going to help deal with childhood poverty. And by the way, how can you guarantee that that money that they're putting in their accounts is going to be spent on, on the kids as opposed to, I don't know, paying the monthly dues at the country? club for the you know for the people who are are getting it and i just i look i the problem with this is the way this stuff gets built and then of course you you get you know a, a fawning mainstream media that just kind of guppies on all this stuff and look i understand it's it's free money or at least people think that it's free money oh the government just gave me a bunch of money isn't that great i'm going to vote for joe biden because who knows how much more money he's going to give and of course we we don't answer the question about where ultimately the money comes from one more text and we move on jeff my husband and i both work full time we have good jobs with a joint income just under the $150,000 threshold you're talking about we receive all the government payouts and we don't need them we have two young children and we work to support them in our lives we are seeing terrible shortages in the workforce, so many jobs that need to be filled, but no one wants to work anymore. The handouts are perpetuating the problem, and it's not truly helping those who need help. Yeah, I think that says it all. All right, let us let us switch gears. Same church, different pew. There, there is a, a, a thinking out there. And, you know, we see it when it comes to climate change, and we've certainly seen it when it comes to the, the fight against COVID. And that is that there is only there is only one way to think. And if you don't buy this, if you don't agree with what the quote-unquote expert says, well, then you're promoting misinformation. You're dangerous. You're a Neanderthal. You're a troglodyte. You're, you're, you're whatever. And you need to be silenced because there, there is an ultimate truth. And if you don't subscribe to that ultimate truth, you need to be stopped because you are a danger to society. And we're starting to see that kind of thing play out. Look, I, I've been vaccinated. We, when we've talked about this on the program many, many times. I have been vaccinated. I, I believe the vaccinations are safe. In my opinion, doing the cost-benefit analysis, my opinion is, for me, given my individual health history, I think the benefits of getting the vaccine far outweigh whatever risks there might be out there. But that is an individual decision that I have made. I know many, many, many people who I consider to be very, very smart people who disagree with my assessment. They believe that 
for example, that, that, that COVID doesn't pose that great a risk to them as individuals. And so, or they, they've had COVID, they've recovered, they believe they have antibodies. All, all those different situations. And they've made this kind of calculated risk that, that getting, that, that getting the vaccine is not worth it for them. Now, I don't, for me, I don't agree with that. I got the vaccine. I, I think, and I, I mean, I, I encourage people to, to do that. But at the same time, I respect this other side. I don't think that there is one absolute truth that is out there. But yet there appears to be this argument that, that there is and that people who want to view or advance contrary views shouldn't have the opportunity to do it. I, I'm, this just happened. Um, this happened today. OK, the, the Surgeon General of the United States, his name is uh, Vivak Murthy issued a public advisory on health misinformation today, calling it a serious threat to public health, I'm now quoting, and encouraging all Americans to help slow its spread. This this isn't the spread of COVID. This is the spread of, quote-unquote, misinformation during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. To that end, the National Academies of Science have been addressing misinformation in health and science on multiple fronts and are taking steps to help cultivate a fact and evidence-based information environment. Here's the quotation. This pandemic has demonstrated as never before how critical it is to not only combat false and misleading claims, but also to get clear, understandable and potentially life-saving health guidance to the public. The National Academies are eager to support the Surgeon General in this effort, and we're committed to working with the research community, healthcare providers, government agencies and others to help amplify credible, authoritative health information. Misinformation is worse than an epidemic. It spreads at the speed of light throughout the globe and can prove deadly when it reinforces misplaced personal bias against all trustworthy evidence. Research is helping us combat this misinfodemic through its understanding, its origins, and the aspects of human nature that make it so transmittable. So in other words, if you disagree with whatever the conventional wisdom is, Whatever who the World Health Organization is saying today, or you disagree with whatever the CDC is saying today, well, then then somehow you are contributing to the problem because you are spreading misinformation and you pose a threat to public health. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you, but that's that's pretty scary coming from the National Academy of Science and the the U.S. Surgeon General, because it's pretty much coming out and saying that in the view of of the government, there is one greater truth. And if you don't buy into that, you, you know, you, you, you are dangerous and and you need to be combated. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, we've seen this on, on so many things, that this idea that you can't, you, you, you can't question things and that there's some problem with you if you happen to not to subscribe to whatever the, the mainstream view du jour is. And I say that because the, the science does change and I appreciate that. But 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are, are there absolutes? And for example, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who is vaccinated and encourages people to get vaccinated. I, I don't know. There's this idea that how dare you say 
that that there might be some concern with the vaccinations down down the road and that you know you shouldn't be able to talk about that or you shouldn't be able to talk about alternative treatments or you shouldn't be able to talk about the idea that maybe people have natural immunities or things like that even though even though I kind of reject that and I, I've been the guy that, that's gotten the vaccine I still I I kind of raise my back up when I'm saying, okay, the government is now telling us that people who disagree with conventional wisdom are a threat to the public, a serious threat to public health. 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We've received a number of texts, but there's one that jumped out at me as being really, really scary on this. And, and here's what the texter writes. Jeff, it is misinformation because it goes against fact. Therefore, it should be stopped when possible. It's in the view of science. All right. Now, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't realize that science was this giant, omnipotent personality that floats around somewhere and says, this is the way things are. I, because... There are lots of really smart people. There's really smart doctors. There's really smart scientists who look at data and come to different conclusions. But yet there's this idea that because it, it's the World Health Organization or because it's the CDC or because it's somebody that's got a master's degree in public health that's now the, the science official, that this is the definitive word. Now, again, I, I, I think, you know, people need to make, make their own decisions and be smart and stuff like that. And I guarantee to you and I agree that there's crackpots out there on all sorts of things. I, I get it. But what's scary to me is this idea that if you don't believe what the quote unquote science is and, and whatever that 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 person may be or that entity may be, that you are a public health hazard. And again, how does that reconcile itself with the fact that, like I say, you've got you've got scientists who come up with contrary opinions, that they look at data, they look at results, or they do their test and they come up with a different result than somebody else came with. But yet we've got this this one kind of group think and and you're a public health menace or a hazard that needs to be stopped if you don't subscribe to the party line. That to me is is the scary thing, and this is coming from the perspective of somebody who is convinced that vaccines are safe and who got a vaccine. Sandy in Oconomowoc, Sandy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Hi Sandy. I, I mean you're hitting on it. If the government, CDC, or who can only be the correct ones, then then there should be no second opinions for any other di- diagnosis. You know, when somebody gets I, cancer or heart problems, you know, I'd love to see every medical person if they get diagnosed with something, they're forbidden to see a second. Uh, another doctor for a second opinion. Well, it's just insane. Well, Sandy, you, you make such a good point. I have a, I have a very dear friend who was diagnosed in the last few months with a, a, a rare and aggressive form of, of cancer. And she's actually doing very well with the treatments and stuff. But the, the first doctor that she went to recommended one particular therapy. This is how we, we deal with this, and this is what we should do. She went, and to your point, she got a second opinion. <laughs> and, and, and the, the other place she went said, well, no, we, we don't, we don't think that that's the way to go. We think you need to do this, and then you need to do that, and if it all works out, then we can do what they wanted to do. But, but again, there, there's no, defi- and, and I'm not saying the first doctor w- was wrong. He just had a different opinion than 
than the other sets of doctors. You know, there's no right or wrong necessarily. And, and you're right. If there's uh, where, who is this science that that says yeah. what what the procedures are and what they aren't? And we we wouldn't have any medical advances if we just said, okay, today is what there is. Then how are we ever going to get better? Right. Medicine. Well, and, and again, and, and part, right, part of it is you, you have scientists or doctors who, in many cases, I think, look at the same data and, and come to different conclusions about things. And it, it doesn't necessarily make somebody right and somebody may, wrong. It, it may, might make somebody have a better answer and somebody else have a worse answer. But, but it's this, this idea out there that we've all got to subscribe to this group think and that you're a public health menace if you're somebody who i don't know says well maybe i i trust the antibodies and that's and it's like wow that's what we're coming to in this country that the surgeon general says that the health misinformation makes you a public health enemy where does this come from thank you for covering thanks for the call i i mean and and look and i understand there's crackpot stuff that's out there And, and i have no problem like looking at stuff and saying okay this 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 is crackpot and if you want to i don't know com- combat misinformation by saying you know look there's nobody there's no responsible person that that thinks this or thinks that but that's not where this is going it's very very clear that this current government says okay there there is only one right way to approach this and if you don't buy into the way that we say well you know you you pose you pose a risk. I mean, that's this is the language. Um, public. They have now issued a public advisory on health min- misinformation, calling it a serious threat to public health. So, if you're somebody, and that's it. If you don't toe the line, and, and I, I guess I, I just I can't get past this because I know really really smart people who who say to me, Jeff, I can't believe you got vaccinated. And I, I did because I, I think it's the right thing to do, and I've done my research, and I, I believe this. But I'm not about to tell them that that they're gosh that there's some kind of crackpot. Um, you know, that's it. Um, there's it's it's just kind of scary. Um, Jeff, and a number of tests to raise his point. Welcome to the plan on reducing world population by forcing an unknown vaccine on the population. No, see that's that to me that that's you know that that's kind of that crackpot extreme. I don't think the people that have developed the vaccine are are trying to poison folks or anything like that. That's that's way out there as well. But I think we can have a representative dialogue about, you know, what goes on. And and if you you know, this started with climate change and we talked about this a little bit the the other day. I think given the fact that we have more people in the world now than ever and given the fact that you have a number of countries that have become more industrialized India India China etc and in the process of becoming industrialized they're polluting more I, I don't think that there's anything I don't think that you can argue that you know the more people on the earth and you know more industrialization is having some effect on the climate and the ozone layer and things like that what you can debate though is whether or not the world as we know it is going to end in in 20 years or not what is the effect of it and what is the impact of it and how do you deal with it but that doesn't mean that you're a climate change denier and we we can't even let you argue that the problem isn't as bad as some people are trying to make it seem to be it's just I'm just here to tell you, this is the kind of prevailing attitude that's out there that you can't have any sort of dissent at all on 
on issues. For me, the, the you know, we talk about this every year with the flu shot, all right? I understand there are people who do not get the flu shot. I get the flu shot every year. I go, I sit down, I talk with my doctor. My doctor says, Jeff, I think this is probably good for you. You've gotten the flu shot every year. You've never had an adverse reaction. You know, you're not allergic to this type of stuff. I think you should get it. And I say, Doc, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and I get it. All right, that, that's fine. But if there's a doctor out there that doesn't advocate the for people getting the flu shots, even if that runs in the face of science or conventional wisdom, I, I'm not going to say that the person should be stifled or that the person represents a danger to public health. I'm just going to say, okay, well, that that's his opinion. What you need to do is you need to educate yourself. Make the best decision you can based on the information available and then live with the consequences of your decision. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, this is one of God's ways of telling you that you need to get a life. I I admit, ever since I found this website, I am morbidly fascinated by it. And no, it's not a porn website or anything like that. It's this website. I'm going to tweet it out. It's, um, It's put on, the Milwaukee Police Department has this. And it's... It's their, they've got their crime numbers and it's, it's updated on a daily basis. I, I've made reference to this. You can, you can look at it and it's got all the list of, of crimes, of major crimes, homicide, rape, robbery, aggravated assault, burglary, theft, larceny, motor vehicle theft, arson, and then, then it totals them all up. And it's got the numbers of those different crimes that were reported in 2019 and 2020. And then they have a year to date. You know, how many have, have occurred so far this year? In addition, they've got, and, and you know, you can't fault, they are very transparent about this. Then they've got a column that's like, like year to date that says, okay, as of, okay, so what's today? July 15th. As of July 15th, 2020, for example, there were 90 homicides. As of July 15th, 2021, there's 87 homicides. So you can track the, these different things. Um, to give you an idea, as of this, um, as of year to date, and so it, it's current through yesterday, the 14th. Okay, so year to date, car theft. Last year, 1,790. Eight cars that were stolen this year, five thousand two hundred and twenty-two. And and I admit one of the the things that I've done, I kind of look at this on a daily basis. So you can actually track in real time the number of reported. For example, tomorrow th- that number, that five thousand two hundred and twenty-two number, which is the number of year-to-date car thefts, it will be larger. Because they, so you'll be able to tell how many cars were reported as stolen on the mean streets of Milwaukee, you know, today. And and I admit that it's kind of fascinating. You just kind of look at these sort of numbers, and I always have to remind myself that the the the, the numbers tell a story, but they they don't tell the whole story because behind every one of those numbers, there, there's a real victim. And, you know, we've, we've been telling victim stories over the course of the last few days, stories about, you know, people who over the last couple of days were, were robbed at, at gunpoint and were assaulted as they were at gas stations and things of, of the like, and who were either carjacked or if for whatever reason the person didn't take their car, they, you know, hit them in the face with a gun and like took their wallet and things like that. And, and you, you, you get these and it's easy to forget the the real impact of crime by just looking at the numbers but the numbers tell 
just an amazing again an amazing story that's out there and and there's no end in sight that's kind of the frustrating thing you know there's all this lip service that's given to dealing with crime and all but we're still at a point where the number of police officers on the street down by by hundreds uh, there are some people out there who view the police as an occupying force. And I, I swear, you look at these numbers and you can say, how can anybody look at this and not realize that you you, you need a much larger law enforcement presence because you've got to get the, the bad guys off the street. And you also need pressure on the prosecutors. You need pressure on the court system to once you catch the bad guys, not to continue to turn them loose over and over again. The, the other aspect of this that always sticks in my mind is the there there is a victim behind every one of these crimes and we we don't we don't hear the victim stories like i was saying and and most of these crimes unfortunately crime has gotten to the point where unless it is a spectacular crime it doesn't make the radio news it doesn't make the tv news it doesn't make the the newspaper It, it in many respects it reminds me back back in the day when i started out as a federal prosecutor in, in the mid 80s back then we i i was involved in, in prosecuting drug dealers and, and a lot of the the drugs the cocaine stuff that was coming up that ended up in southeastern wisconsin was coming from south florida that, that was the deal so we spent a lot of time down in south florida investigating crimes because a lot of times it was criminal drug families that started in south florida and for a variety of ways that they, they ended up selling dope in in the southeastern wisconsin and i remember I, I was down there once and i was meeting with some local police officers and stuff and and i heard reports that some of the people that we were the subject of investigation getting ready to prosecute had been involved in in some shootings and some acts of violence down in, in South Florida. And I remember, I'll never forget this, we were at one, I think it might have been the Fort Lauderdale Police Department or something, and I, and I remember saying to some of the officers as we were asking these questions, I said, I, I'm curious, are there, are there newspaper accounts of this that, that, you know, so-and-so was involved in the shooting and stuff? And this is 1980. Five, and I, I remember the the copper looking at me like I, I'm just from another planet. He says, "Yeah, Jeff, this this is this is Miami or Fort Lauderdale or whatever. This this is this is this is South Florida." He said, "You don't don't you understand that that shootings are so commonplace here that they unless unless it happens outside a grade school or unless it happens in a mall, it's not going to make the news. These are just these routine things. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I, I'd hate to see that we get that stage. Well, we're at that point around here where unless it's something spectacular, you, you know, you don't. We've had, OK, year to date, over a thousand robberies, over four thousand aggravated assaults. Over 5,000 thefts, larceny, 5,222 car thefts, 16, 116 arsons. I mean, and, and there's just, it's happening so often that we just don't even get a chance to talk about it. And there's a victim behind every one of those. And I think in many cases, the victims are going to be surprised, which leads me to what we, this situation down in, in Racine. And, and this is what's so scary about these things. It's the randomness of of crime that I think also has to get people's attention. And look, I I understand it's one of those deals where sometimes you, you never want to. You always have to feel sorry for car, for victims, but you sit there and say, okay, you know, this guy got you know somebody you know got robbed or whatever, and they were out. They were it was bar time, and it was like three o'clock in the morning, and they were in a high crime area, and it, it's wrong, and you want to prosecute them, but 
but stay out of that high crime area. And, you know, maybe your chances of not being a victim are going to be greater. This story in Racine County from the, the other day is just Tuesday morning is just almost unbelievable. And and this is, of course, the, the shootings that started at the pilot truck stop gas station and then culminated at the mobile gas station two miles away. They're, they're releasing more details. The, the, the guy that was killed um, was a 22-year-old man named Anthony Grieger from Elkhorn. The shooter has been identified as a guy named John McCarthy of, of Heartland. So, you know, what, what happened is the 32-year-old guy, McCarthy, you know, shows up at this pilot travel center, if you haven't been following the story, which is a truck stop right off of the, off of the interstate on Northwestern Avenue there. And apparently he tries to, he goes up to Geiger, who's this 22-year-old man, young man who, who's filling up his car with gas, and he shoots him. He executes him. It's an execution-style slaying. I don't think they think that he, he know, knew him or anything. It's just a, a random. He happened to be at the very wrong place at the very wrong time. After killing Geiger, uh, Grieger, I'm sorry, after killing Grieger, the, uh, McCarthy, that's the shooter, tries to drive his vehicle but could not. Um, he then tried to carjack someone else. That car drives away. He shoots at that car. Then he gets into his own car. He drives to the mobile gas station. There he attempts another carjacking and shot at another man gassing up his vehicle. This person was the undercover deputy who was just beginning his shift. They exchanged gunfire. Then apparently, according to the latest reports, that the, the shooter, this McCarthy, he was shot by the, the officer, he shot the officer, and then he shoots himself in, in the head. Um, and, and he's of course dead, the officer's gonna recover. The, but, but the scary thing, I mean, there's lots of scary aspects of this, but again, it's the randomness that, you know, that, that could have been you, that could have been me. This 22 year old guy, he's on his way to work, he's stopping his, your car needs gas. How often does that happen? I mean, my guess is, if you're like me, maybe once a week, you stop at the gas station, maybe it's on your way home from work, maybe it's on the way back from work, whatever, you need gas, you're, you're just there, you're filling up your tank, and this psychopath comes up and, and executes you. It's, it's the randomness that is scary as well, and I think that's one of the more compelling reasons that we have now for even a greater law enforcement presence because there's crazies that are out there and there's a lot of them and they feel emboldened to do all sorts of stuff and i think it is incumbent upon the politicians the elected officials one of their jobs is to make sure that the rest of the the populace are protected and i think you know in some cases they're not doing a very good job of that okay when we come back potheads of america unite i've got some good news for you you're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, a number of people were texting saying, what's that website that you're referring to? And so if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 I sent out a link to it um, for those keeping score from the relative safety of their homes. It's a link to the City of Milwaukee Police Departments, and it's their crime statistics. And I do give them credit for transparency. They, they update it on a daily basis so you can, you can see the hard numbers that are, in fact, out there. And you have to keep telling yourself, though, that behind every one of those numbers, behind every one of those... 5,220 whatever car thefts that have occurred year to date. There, there's, there's somebody 
whose car was stolen, who, who walked out and found that their the vehicle that they used to get their kids to daycare or get their kids to school and get themselves to work and do whatever, their, their car is gone. It's been stolen. There is a victim behind every one of those. And I think if if the chattering class, if the elected officials would be more mindful of that, looking at those numbers, maybe they take what's going on a bit more seriously. Okay. Chuck Schumer who is the Senate Majority Leader. Well, the the Senate, of course, is split 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, but because the Vice President is a Democrat, they have the majority, at least until the elections a year from now. Senator Chuck Schumer came out yesterday and said that he wants to decriminalize marijuana on the federal level. In other words, removing marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act and then begin regulating and taxing it. Now, the way it works now is a number of states have already moved to either legalize or decriminalize marijuana. The problem is Marijuana is still a schedule, I believe it's a schedule one controlled substance um, on, on the federal list. So even if a state, for example, were to legalize marijuana, it's still illegal on the federal level. So you, you've got this conflict. So, for example, you could be in Colorado and you could be, be selling dope. But the federal government, technically, that, that's in violation of the federal law because you've got federal laws on drug trafficking, you've got state laws on drug trafficking, and just because the state law says it's okay, that doesn't mean that, that the federal law is, is not binding. So right now, it, it's a hang-up, and even in states, for example, where it's legal, from the perspective of like employers and all, well, it, it's still against federal law. So you're, you're in the situation where, okay, the state says you can do it, but the Fed says you can't. So be really careful because the Feds could, if they chose, try to enforce these various laws. So anyhow, into this way is Chuck Schumer. He says, look, here, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to legalize or decriminalize marijuana. And he's talking about decriminalizing it, not just for small possessions of small amount of money, of marijuana. He's talking about decriminalizing it, period. So for trafficking and things of, of the like. Um, he says, look, it's long overdue. You know, um, we believe that marijuana has historically been over-criminalized, and, and so what we're going to do is try to, you know, do away with this. Okay, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, in the real world, this legislation is probably going nowhere. In, in the real world, I think there's very, very little support among elected officials to decriminalize marijuana on the federal level. But that doesn't necessarily, I guess, mean that it's a bad idea. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we simply remove marijuana from the controlled substance um, standards? Should we say it's legal we have no problem with people selling marijuana. We have no problem with people buying marijuana. We have no problem with people using marijuana as long as you pay the taxes on it. All right. Is that good public policy? We discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Mark in Brookfield. Mark, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Hi, Mark. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm not sure whether it should be legalized or not, but I, I think people are naive and 
thinking there isn't an impact. Uh, like I've never seen any statistics on uh, driving under the influence uh, arrests relative to states that have legalized marijuana. I, I would love to see that, but I've never seen any stats on that. And, and I think that might just be a, a more than just a coincidence. And then the other thing that I had to make a kind of a sad face yesterday was you had two news stories. on. first one was about Schumer and his idea here of legalizing or decriminalizing it. Right. And the next story was that there were a record number of opioid deaths yep. last year. Yep. 92,000 people died. So uh, maybe there isn't a connection. Maybe there is, but it just seemed rather uh, sad. No, it, it, it's, inter- it's interesting. Mark. I mean, thanks for the call. I, you know, th- there's this argument, and whenever I, I voice it, I, I get a number of texts from people saying, oh, come on, get get into the 21st century, Wagner. But, the, but for some people... Marijuana is, in fact, a, a gateway drug to hire to other drugs. Now, I am not saying that everybody that smokes pot is going to be become a heroin addict. I, I'm not saying that. But if you talk to a lot of people who are, um, like, in, in drug rehab or whatever, they, they'll tell you that they started with, with marijuana. I guess, I, I see, I view this in, in the following way. I, I understand. I see the polls. I know there's about 70 percent of the public that thinks that you should legalize marijuana. And there's people that say, well, it's no worse than alcohol. And I don't want to be the poster child for alcohol abuse. That's not a good thing either. But from a social perspective, I guess what 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 do we advance by saying, okay, we're we're going to we're going to legalize marijuana. So that means that you're clearly going to have more people using marijuana. That means that you're going to have more people that are going to be driving around that might be high or whatever. What what social cause do we advance by by making it easier to to do that? Now I understand, by the way, and I've been doing this radio show on TMJ for 23 years now. I, I get that I'm swimming upstream on this. I understand that the way it works right now is, what are the numbers? 18 states and the District of Columbia allow recreational use by adults, right? Now, what Schumer's talking about is more than that, though. He's talking about decriminalizing it. So he's talking about, okay, we're, we're going to allow the distribution of this, and as long as you pay the taxes on it, it it's just kind of like Katie bar the door. I think Mark makes a really interesting point about what are the, the social costs of of doing this and again i understand that there's a number of states that have done this it's very very difficult to document the effects of like driving under the influence and some states have seen big revenue boosts others it it hasn't been what they expected but yet yes there's some money to be made by doing this the question for me is is that the best way to to do it and look, I, I fully acknowledge 15 or 20 years from now, you, you know, this will probably be, this will probably be a given and all sorts of stuff is going to be, you know, legal and it's going to be taxed and then we're going to have to deal with the social consequences. At the same time, let me just put on my political hat as well. There's no question. As a matter of fact, I think Chuck Schumer acknowledges this, that this is, I mean, Democrats push this because they believe they benefit politically by embracing this legislation, particularly with young voters. I think you saw that play out in the 2018 election where Tony Evers, let's legalize marijuana, um, ran against Scott Walker, who was not in favor of that. And between the the impact of like the anti-Trump vote on Scott Walker and the, hey, we're turning out people in Madison because we want pot to be legal. We'll vote for Tony Evers, plus a couple referendums in some other heavily Democratic areas. It, it was a, a political strategy that worked. I don't know how often you can keep going to that well, but it's a political issue. I just don't know from the perspective of our society whether it's good or bad.
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Mike Spalding, let's pull back the curtain. Right before you started your newscast, many times when you're doing your newscast, I will sit in the studio Mm -hmm. and kind of like stare out what we're going to do and (laughs) stare out into space or or do whatever. But right before you did this in the category of too much information, I said, go to the bathroom. See you in a few minutes. (laughs) And, uh, I, you know, and we we were discussing and you said, well, I I said, is that too much information? You said, well, no, if if Giannis can say it, you know, anybody can. Yeah. Of course, referring to at the beginning of the game yesterday, and it it was kind of interesting because Giannis, they took him out of the game early on, and this, I, I was watching the national broadcast feed on ESPN, and, and this had the announcers, they're going, "What? why has Giannis yeah. left the game? Why is he back in the locker room? What, you know, what, what's happened here? What's going on? Is he injured? It's all this type of stuff. And so afterwards, they, they ask him what happened, and he says, he had to tinkle. He had to tinkle. <laughs> <laughs> when you gotta go, you gotta go, I but, guess. But it does raise that, that question. And, and, you, and you ask this, which is one of the reasons I respect your inquiring mind so much. And, and you would have, you would have liked to have seen somebody in that room do the follow up. Everybody laughs and he says you had to tinkle and stuff. But, but the operative question is, why didn't you go before you came out on the court? <laughs> exactly. Are you just too excited? You know, everyone has their routine. And I know, too, has he been doing this in more games besides this one? <laughs> because he's been getting that three minutes in, and then you're asking out and walking around thing for a couple of games. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. It's it's because, it's I mean, we, we all, in, in the workplace, we all have... Have routines, yeah. you know, and that was Jonathan Green. When Jonathan used Green used to do the afternoon show, Jonathan Green had this routine, and this is too much information, but there was, <laughs> it was about, it was about like four twenty in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and there was always a break that was built in, and Jonathan would regularly leave the studio and, and go to the bathroom, it, it, whatever that was, that four twenty break, and. And and you could never schedule anything. You you couldn't like, like no call ins, no nothing, because he was not going to be there because he he was he was regular, you know, and, and and that was it. But 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 at least he knew that he planned around it. So I was thinking, you know, what's you know what's going on? This it, it's like you say to kids, go before the game starts. Yeah. What <laughs> would your parents tell you? It, it, even if you don't have to go, at least try. Right. Right. <laughs> because we're not. My dad would say we're not stopping. It's four hundred miles in the car. Mm-hmm. So you know you're you're in trouble. Okay. He had to tinkle. So. <laughs> you just love I love Giannis, by the way. I mean, it's just he seems like such a genuine, fun guy. Yeah, I think it's just that he has not reached the point yet where like the mass media, you know, national is criticizing. You're at like this perfect little window of where he can be an you know, awesome basketball player. The city loves him. He resigned. Not a lot of criticism nationally, and you're and you can just really enjoy it and be pure about it. Well, it's awesome. Well, right, and I get, I I understand that sometimes. You have to be careful with the public image of of, of personality, mm-hmm. sports figures, celebrities, because as as we've seen, Bill Cosby, Tiger Woods. I mean, there's this public image, and then the real person is not like that, and and it, it turns out to be feet of clay. But I, I get the sense with with um, with Giannis and Christian Yelich is another one. I, I know some people who live in the building where he knows. I, I I get the impression that these are he's he's really just a good, nice, genuine guy who's just devoted to his his family and just 
just darn glad to be here. Yeah, I two years ago in the Raptors series, not to bring up those bad memories, I was worried that after that one, you know, that season was so magical and everything came together with the team and Giannis and everything, and then they lose. And I was just worried that, all right, if people are going to pile on and, and the baggage is going to build up, or is he going to become more jaded? And it doesn't seem like that no. has happened, which is which is great. And you, they're having fun. And it seems like they like each other, you know, and all that stuff. It just it, it's rare to happen when you have a team that coalesces. Like well, this. it is. You know, I, I say this. I, I mean, I don't cover sports, but I, I just because of what I do, just casually, I, I interact occasionally and with, with members of the Brewers. You know, we used to do these interviews from the, the dugout on opening day and things like that. And my sense was, and it continues to be, that they've done a good job of building this team where there, there's guys that genuinely like each other, and they're in. And I'm not saying you don't have jerks, but I, I think you know sometimes when you take especially with professional athletics, and you, you take these athletes that are v- highly compensated, that they kind of sometimes lose touch and have this sort of entitled sense. Mm. I don't I don't get that. I really don't get that sense. I mean, I go and talk to these guys in the Brewers, and, and you know, they're, they're lots younger than me, and they, they keep calling me sir and stuff. <laughs> but, no, I just think they're, they're genuinely nice people, and it makes it – you, you want to root for them. You want to see them succeed beyond the fact that they're playing for – they're playing baseball for your team or you're playing basketball for your – Giannis – strikes me as one of these just genuinely decent, nice guys that realizes that he, he's just he, he's doing he's being highly compensated to do something that he absolutely loves. And you got to love to see that. He's still kind of like, he strikes me as being kind of like a kid at Christmas. Exactly. And it doesn't last forever. So I hope uh, Bucks fans were, were really enjoying it and soaking it up and, and showing enough love on our end because um, it really is, like I said, it, it's really special. And the Brewers, Jeff, I, I was telling you after we did the reopening day when you interviewed Brandon Woodruff, I, I really enjoyed that one because he was open to talking about things other than baseball or boilerplate. You know, he talked about college and going back to school and all this yeah. stuff. And I, it, I think it really helps the athlete because they do make so much money that when you are able to be a little bit, not vulnerable, but open. Well, well, right. I mean, Brandon, that, that's a great, you know, when I do these interviews, look, we, we have sports guys that can ask people, you know, what, why did you throw the change up at three and two? No, and, and I appreciate that. And those are questions you have to ask. That to me isn't so much interesting and it's not my wheelhouse. I, I, I have this curiosity that I think you share and I think a lot of other people do. It's like, okay, here you've got Brandon Woodruff, who's 28 years old, who comes from Tupelo, Mississippi. And, I mean, I'm doing the background on him, and you see that he was drafted um, like in the fourth round by by somebody. And, and I, I'm, I'm legitimately curious as to why did you go to college, instead of taking the dough and going and being a pitcher or whatever, you know, why did you go to college for three years? And it was, it was an interesting issue. It's like how – you know what does your life look like? And you're right; these guys they're articulate, they're 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 fun. You would like to think I would like to think that if I had ever been gifted with that kind of talent, I would I would appreciate what I had and I'd enjoy it and I'd revel in the moment. And Woodruff seemed like that. Giannis seems like he's he's enjoying the moment as opposed to the, the weight of all the pressure about being a big time athletic personality. So in any event, okay, you can go tinkle now. Oh, thank you. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> okay. Okay. When when we come back, a, a school getting criticism for, yes, it's mask policy next month. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whitefish Bay. 
one of the um, better school districts in our listening area, always constantly rated in the top four or five if they look at school districts in the state. And there's there's a number of good ones in the area. So here's the deal. Um, Whitefish Bay resuming in-person learning starting you know this fall as well as their traditional school year calendar they finished the 2021 school year in person all right they um say that you know they're they're going to come back but but here's the deal right now their rule and their plan is that they want unvaccinated individuals will be required to wear masks vaccinated individuals would have the option to wear masks. So presumably that means that a lot of the the kids who haven't been vaccinated yet, it will be mandatory masks for them. All right, a number of parents have been very vocal about objecting to this. Let me read you a portion of the story as it appears in the Journal Sentinel. Under the district's mask policy unveiled by the superintendent, Unvaccinated individuals would be required to wear masks. Vaccinated individuals would have the option to wear masks. A petition was started by a Whitefish Bay parent. This petition was formed for those people who feel the social and emotional benefits of having the option to not wear masks outweighs the low risks of transmission given the current COVID incidents in the North Shore and the Whitefish Bay vaccine numbers. We believe every parent should have the right to decide if they want their child to wear a mask or not. Other parents said the district should keep its mask requirement. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there are certain areas of the country where you're seeing a resurgence of COVID numbers, primarily among people who are not vaccinated. As a general rule, that, that's that's not kids. The the As a general rule, the COVID transmission among children, statistically, it's never been that great. But... You, you can't kids can't get vaccinated. So here's the, the issue. When we go back to schools, all right, Whitefish Bay and many other schools, by the way, have a similar sort of policy. Vaccinated students, vaccinated school personnel, the way I understand it, will not be required to wear masks. They have that option. They can if they want, of course, but they won't be required. But everybody else, the other kids will be. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Given the given the decline in COVID numbers, given the fact that kids, as a general rule, don't get too sick from this, and that's a generalization. I understand that there are, in fact, exceptions. Should parents have the right to allow their children to go to school unmasked? 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Yes or no? And why? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, Whitefish Bay School System has announced that when they go back to school, in-person learning in the fall, people who have been vaccinated have the option as to whether they want to wear masks or not, but it's not going to be mandatory. If you do not, if you haven't been vaccinated, you have no choice. You have to wear a mask. And there's, and so this is going to essentially for, 
I, I would assume, like all the elementary school kids, that means that they're going to have to wear masks. And for a lot of the middle school kids and maybe the high school kids who haven't been vaccinated, they're going to have to wear masks as well. But certainly all the all the elementary school and a lot of the middle school kids, the kids under 12 or whatever that limit is, number of parents are saying, we don't think that that should be the case. You know, we think that given the fact that a lot of people have been vaccinated in the North Shore, that the numbers in our school district of COVID cases are small. I assume that that's what the argument is. I haven't looked at what the actual numbers are. We shouldn't require it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the text line is really interesting because, as you might expect, there's a complete split behind this. Um, Jeff? No, they should not have a choice because the people who would be unmasked would be trampling on the rights of others to have a safe environment. Um, yes, Jeff, here's the contrast. We moved to the Heartland Arrowhead School District last March due to Whitefish Bay's restrictive policies. Parents should absolutely have the choice of what they do here. A number of people then saying the parents should absolutely have the right. It's my child. When did we turn raising them over to the government? See, here's how I look at this. And I come back to kind of like the follow the science thing. And and feel free to disagree. I I think the question should be, what what are exactly the numbers? As opposed to one of the things that's been frustrating to me over the last year and a half has been there's kind of like this knee-jerk reaction that doesn't, pay attention to what's going on in in local areas. Okay, because we've got a a high incidence of COVID in a certain section of the city of Milwaukee, we're going to impose rules in Bayfield County that might have no relevance to what's going on in in Bayfield County, but might make certain sense in in a certain zip code of Milwaukee. This idea that there's this one-size-fits-all thing. To me, Instead of just having this knee-jerk reaction of, oh, you got to wear masks, or no, we're not going to have the people wear masks, I, I think it, it's it's one where you look at the numbers and you say, okay, what what is this? All right, is is COVID, you know, is this going on in the schools? You know, are are the COVID cases in the North Shore and in Whitefish Bay, are, is there an appreciable number of them? Or because of, you know, where is our percentage of vaccinations in the community? Is there really a concern, a valid and realistic concern that, okay, if kids go to school and you've got the, you know, the eight-year-olds that are sitting in class and they're, they're not wearing masks, is there really a legitimate concern that somebody's going to come in and is going to be an asymptomatic carrier and get everybody sick? Is, what, what is the likelihood of that? And it would seem to me that that's what you got to know. As opposed to like this just general concern that, well, okay, we, we, we've got to have masks because the health department says, you know, wear masks or that, that we, we don't need to wear masks because we don't need to be worried about it at all. This strikes me as, again, one of these sort of individual things that is, is fact, fact based and, and numerically based given what the reality of the situation is and what the numbers are. And without knowing what those numbers are, it, it's tough to tell what the right answer is. But for everybody who says, well, no, we, we got to put these kids, we got to have these kids wearing masks forever, I, I don't buy that. I mean, I, I, I don't. that doesn't make any sense to me if the parents don't want the kids to have to wear masks and there's no significant risk that they're going to get sick or they're going to transmit it to other people. 
then 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 why do you bother doing it? On the other hand, if COVID is still prevalent in the North Shore, and I don't necessarily think it is, but maybe it is, well, maybe there's a justification. Or alternatively, if you have if you have an outbreak, well, then, all right, so you go back and you give people the option as to whether they want to wear masks or not, and then two weeks in, you, you've got a half dozen kids that have somehow gotten sick, you know, in in fourth grade or whatever. Well, well, maybe you take a step back and you say, okay, well, even though the numbers perhaps justified going maskless, now we've seen that there's been a mini outbreak, and, and so we, we want to adapt to it. I think part of the thing that's been frustrating for a lot of us has been this this sort of lack of flexibility on on either side, the the either or the one size fits all kind of approach to it. Like I say, to me, it, it's I think the default position should probably be unless we've got a real unless the numbers justify a rule that says you have to wear masks. Well, probably you you kind of go back to, to normal, but. If the numbers justify it, if there's more than just sort of this theoretical concern that somebody somewhere could come in and be asymptomatic and get all sorts of people sick, well, okay, you know, I think you have to be reality-based. You can't live in fear. We can't live in fear for the rest of our lives. And given the fact that it's going to be a long time, if ever, before we hit herd immunity and before you get kids that are vaccinated, do, do we really want to sign up for a world where for the next five, ten years, you know, children are going to have to wear masks while they're sitting in class in third and fourth grade? I would argue that that is not a desirable situation. Might be necessary in a particular school district or a particular time, but I do think the school officials should be able to provide the data that justifies that. When we come back, we'll find out what's on, what is on John McCure's mind. For Wisconsin's Afternoon News, please stick around.